Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Dave Meltzer, CEO of Sports One Marketing and the executive producer and host of Entrepreneur's Elevator Pitch and The Playbook. And if you want to learn how to cultivate relationships at the highest level, you should be listening to Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to the show. I'm super excited today to bring on a guest. This guy I've been following for a while. Um, he's been on my radar for quite a long time, and I'm really excited that I was finally able to sit down and have a chat with him. His name is David Meltzer. Dave is the CEO and founder of Sports One Marketing and S1 Media House. He's a two-time number one bestselling author and has been named a top 10 keynote speaker by Forbes and Entrepreneur. He's also the executive producer and host to Entrepreneur's original show, Elevator Pitch, with nearly 40 million views and host of the top five business podcast, The Playbook. Dave and I get into a lot of really interesting things like selling his first company for a figure you're definitely going to want to hear for yourself. We talk about how to thrive in a down economy, not just just survive. And we talk about how he's been able to negotiate billions of dollars in contracts and deals throughout the course of his career. There's so many tips, tools, and tactics and strategies that we get into in the show, and I can't wait to share it with you. But first, really quickly, you hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds on the show. They are literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. If this is a new term to you, or you've always kind of wondered exactly what a mastermind is, you're definitely going to want to take my free mastermind course. It is everything you need to know about masterminds and just 
six short lessons. It's 100% free. So there's literally no reason to not at least see what it's about. Just head over to freemmcourse.com slash enroll. That's freemmcourse.com slash enroll to grab that course and get started today. So without any further ado, here is my chat with Dave Meltzer. Dave Meltzer, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. How is it going in your part of the world? It's amazing, Travis, as always. How are you? I am doing fantastic. You're out in Orange County, is that right? I am in Orange County in beautiful 75 degree weather. I was going to say, yeah, I could think of worse places to be spending a December uh, afternoon than <laughs> 75 degrees in sunny SoCal. So a little bit jealous, but I'm, I'm out here in Vegas, so it's not too bad. It's not too bad. That's not bad at all. I love Vegas. All right. So there's so many things that, that we could talk about here, Dave. I was really excited to get you on the show and I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Before we get into like really the, the meat of the conversation, let's kind of build some context here for the few people that might be listening that are not sure who you are. Tell us all about uh, eight-year-old Dave. Like what was it like growing up as Dave Meltzer? <laughs> You know, I had a really happy childhood in Akron, Ohio, uh, single mom, six kids. My dad left when I was five, but super happy. But I did have one thing, one objective in life, even at eight years old. And that was, I was determined to be rich. I just wanted to make a ton of money. Uh, and the only reason I wanted to make money was I wanted to buy my mom a house and a car because the only time I wasn't happy as a child was when I'd catch my mom upset, crying, distraught over money car broke down, dishwasher, you know, couldn't send us to summer camp. And I decided in my mind at a very young age that I had the capacity, the skills, the knowledge, and absolutely the desire to be really rich. Back then when I was eight, my dream was to make a million dollars because way back when, a million dollars, you would never have to work again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah exactly. <laughs> and so that that's what the young eight-year-old Dave Meltzer was up to. And everything was really predicated upon... I was going to make a lot of money. Did that, like, how long did it take for you to really get into that? Meaning, did that kind of carry you throughout high school, college? Were you always just starting to start businesses or sell something or make some profit here or there? How did that really happen? It was funny because I, I always thought at a young age, I'd be rich from being a professional athlete. And I actually got a scholarship to college and quickly realized my freshman year playing football that as I got ran over by Christian Okoye, better known as the Nigerian nightmare in college, that uh, I better had listened to my mom who always said, you know, be a doctor, be a lawyer, or you're a failure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So wanting to be rich, <laughs> I went and first wanted to be a doctor, changed my mind because I realized doctors had to go to hospitals and I hate hospitals and went to law school to be rich. And I thought I'd be an oil and gas litigator. And sure enough, when I graduated law school, I had a job to be very wealthy as an oil and gas litigator. But one of the things I always loved was sales because it was a skill set. And I decided that I was going to take a different job despite my mom telling me I was going to work in the internet selling legal research online, even though my mom told me the internet was going to be a fad. I didn't listen to her. So she was right on the professional athlete thing, but not so right on the internet being a fad. Yeah. She was really wrong on that. But I learned a good lesson that just because your mom loves you and they give you good advice, <laughs> that they may not know everything. You want to go to a source that has knowledge and, and skills and capabilities within that context. But luckily for me, the internet wasn't a fad. 
and I ended up becoming a millionaire nine months out of law school, and I got to buy my mom a house and a car uh, nine months out of law school. That's incredible. Did you find that there were a lot of, let's say, poor money mindset like ideals that you really had to work through when you started into your career and in college and stuff like that, just growing up the way that you did? Or was that not really an issue for you? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. It was a huge issue. Uh, in fact, it always was an issue that I wasn't worthy of everything that I had, that I was always trying to compete with something and attach my happiness to an outcome that was never going to come. And so although I had a lot of money, I was still living in a world of just enough. You know, I never lived in a world of not enough. I never was a victim, but I definitely lived in the world of just enough. And no matter how much I made, the first million, the second million, the 10 million, the 100 million, it was always just enough. And there was never... There's never happiness attached to it. So that mindset carried through all the way until I lost everything. And how did that happen? (laughs) Well, you know, I ended up doing very well. My company was bought out by Thomson Reuters in 1995 for $3.4 billion. Branded myself an internet guru and went to Sand Hill Road and assisted in raising $169 million in the middleware space. And then became the CEO of the world's first smartphone, the world's first Windows CE device. Met Lee Steinberg after that, became CEO of the most notable sports agency. And through that litany of the energy I carried, losing my radical humility that made me me, surrounding myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas, I ended up uh, losing everything and having to start over. Wow. What kind of a time frame did it kind of take for you to bounce back? And what were some of those key lessons that you took away from that? So losing everything was the best thing that ever happened to me. And it didn't take me very long to come back because I learned radical humility. 
And this time I was going to learn it for good and understanding that I was of service and that things didn't happen to me or for me, that they happened through me, that my obligation and my purpose and my passion and my pursuit was going to be to be of service and to add value to everything that I did. So I started meditating. I shifted my awareness to being of service, to praying to God for 10 people I could help every day and really uh, trusting the universe, putting faith into all the things that I wanted, putting faith into the truth and pursuing the truth consistently every day, persistently without quit and enjoying that pursuit of my potential and attaching my happiness to the pursuit. I'm very blessed. I have a friend named Chris Gardner who wrote the book, Pursuit of Happiness, who lived the book. Will Smith played him in the movie. And, uh, you know, he talks about the pursuit of happiness. And I talk about happiness being the pursuit and understanding that we need to constantly persistently be in the pursuit of our potential of whatever we're trying to do. You know, it's obviously do this all the time, interview people on the show all the time and, and people who, who like yourself have, have achieved it, an insanely high level of success in a monetary way. And it's funny just when I, when I talk to people who have a similar story to yours, meaning like, hey, there was a point where I lost everything, where there was this huge point of struggle for me that was really difficult, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I find that always interesting because obviously that's not something that we go seek out, right? Like none of us are like, oh yeah, I can't wait to make a lot of money and then lose it all, <laughs> right? So is there a way, Dave, that, that we can learn those lessons without going through the struggle? Or do you think it's, it's that struggle that forces you to become that different person? Well, I think that uh, the accelerated learning curve is having your own struggles, but there's three types of learners. The first type of learner uh, will never learn a struggle unless it happens to them. And that learner I've defined as an interrupter. That learner doesn't listen. That learner is too busy telling the universe and telling others what they think without taking into consideration any of the lessons that were learned in the past from them or from others. The second type of learner is I call a waiter. A learner it pretends as if it's listening and paying attention to the lessons. It pretends like it's asking for help and mentorship, but it's just waiting for the chance to tell and do what they want to do without any consideration of the past or of others. And then finally, there's the true learner, the one in which can live an accelerated life without experiencing their own trials, tribulations, and struggles. That true learner is the one that processes the experiences of others that ask for help and is of service and they don't need to experience the pain struggles and, and failures themselves in order to accelerate what they're trying to learn so with those three types of people two of them absolutely have to experience themselves those who are true learners and can process with the appropriate mentorship can absolutely accelerate their learning curve without having to personally experience it themselves. And that's one of the places that I strive to be with my potential is to be able to live through the mentorship that I have, whether it be from people, podcasts, TV shows, books, whatever it may be, I try my best to live in that third realm of being a true processing learner. Is that something that you think is hardwired into us? And if it is, is there a way that we can change and become that third person? It's something that you absolutely can evolve. Other people are born with tendencies, characteristic personality traits, a DNA activation that's different than others that allows themselves to be that way from birth. Many carry an energy that is attracted to that. And most people, though, 
it's a learned trade, an evolutionary trade, where we have to enhance our capabilities from interrupter to waiter to a processing learner. Hey, what's up, fellow and future networkers? Want to listen to Build Your Network a day early? Download the Himalaya app and follow the show for exclusive first access. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters, aka me, some love with Himalaya's tip jar. It's free. It's the easiest platform to use, and they're adding cool new features every single day. So go to the app store, download Himalaya. That's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A. And don't forget to follow Build Your Network once you're there. Using some of these these techniques and everything, you've been able to obviously learn from those past mistakes and now build up something incredible once again. What I find uh, really interesting through your entire career, Dave, is your ability to bounce back. And then I feel like there's the second part to this question is I, I feel like there's kind of a, a downturn coming in, in the economy and I, I'm, I'm not saying that to be doom and gloom or whatever. I just want to get kind of some practical advice from you and just to kind of give you some context for me and really probably a lot of my audience is that I'm 26. So during the last downturn of the economy, during the last crisis that we had, I was maybe 14, 15 years old. So I didn't go through the experience of you know everything around you falling apart and then you having to stay strong and try to become more profitable and do better during that period of time. What would be your practical advice to somebody like me or somebody listening that maybe hasn't gone through that experience, but can hopefully learn from the experience of others who have gone through that and avoid some of the things that really crushed people back in 08, 09? Sure. So number one, we study history to learn human nature. Uh, The reason we study history is because human nature never changes. So I would go back and study all the recessions and great depressions that we've had from the early 1900s. And by studying that, realize where human nature will fall if and when, which it always does, the economy moves to a negative direction. Second lesson, just because a market goes down doesn't mean you can't make money. If you take, number one, historical analysis to understand human nature, two, gain the appropriate mentorship of those who have lived through the experience, you can fall within the context of the 1%. The 1% that's wise enough, every single person I talk to tells me, I believe, not doom and gloom, but I believe that the economy is going to go down. Every trend, every market signal says our economy is going to go into a recession. Some people may think even further. Well, then go ahead and learn how people made money during a recession. How do you make money in real estate? How do you make money in stocks? How do you make money in bonds? How do you make money in gold? How do you make money in oil? All of them can be a profit center for you. It is an opportunity for the 1% to see things differently and prepare and educate and, and be more interested and interesting other than the lemmings and the sheep that will just continually ignore the common man. You know, there's an old saying that Sidney Frank, the founder of Grey Goose Vodka, told me, you know, when my shoe shine boy gives me a stock tip, I sell all my stocks. Well, you know, there's plenty of people out there to find that can give you the experience, the situational knowledge on how do I make money when the real estate market drops. So if you pick and choose what you believe is going to happen, 
number one, you can prepare for it so you don't lose money. But moreover, you can be one of the 1% that knows how to make money when the market goes down. And that's the situational knowledge that I've gained over the last 50 years. So that's that's the main idea right there, right? Is that not just to survive the next downturn of the economy, but to actually thrive during that time and become more profitable and bring in more cash flow, more revenue. That's really the goal. So besides investing in hard assets, things that are like cash producing hard assets, what other things should we be investing into before this time happens in terms of like maybe relationships or knowledge or mentorship, all of the above? What exactly would you recommend somebody like go out and like actively pursue to help them be part of that 1%? Number one, cash up. Two, find a mentor or two that sit in this situation historically, no matter how big they are, how famous they are, who has made money in the down markets, right? Warren Buffett, you know, comes to mind for me. But there are plenty of people that understand distressed markets and distressed economies. And lucky for us, there's something called Google. And if you find yourself a distressed expert in the field in which you're interested in making money, reach out and simply ask two questions. Number one, how can I be of service? And two, do you know anyone that can help me? I'd like to make money in the next 10 years when the real estate market drops. Such practical advice. Thank you so much for that. Shifting gears a little bit here, Dave. We're talking a little bit before I hit the record button about your business, uh, Sports One Marketing, you have now. You have literally one of the coolest businesses in the world to me because I was kind of like you growing up, played a lot of sports, always been involved, always loved sports, always kind of wanted to be in and around the sports agency world. How did you not only get into that industry, but absolutely kill it and rise to the top, even though it's super competitive. So I don't believe an industry can be competitive, right? I believe the industry can be big, profitable. And I believe the sports industry is filled with huge opportunities. And I believe that if you don't limit your point of entry, if you focus in on your skills that you need for what you love to do, the knowledge that you want, need, or have to do what you want to do, and maintaining and being inspired uh, which includes, you know, what other people may think is uh, sacrifice. But for me, it was just really honing in on skills, knowledge, and desire, executing upon them, being of service and asking for help, and building and attracting what I wanted, allowing it to happen instead of fitting within the context of what everyone else believed. You know, I have so many of my friends, when I told them what I wanted to do, especially when I spun off from Lee Steinberg, Right, being the CEO of the most notable sports agency in the world, spinning off my own marketing company with Warren Moon, oh, nine out of 10 people either laughed at my face or behind my back. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And they said, oh, he'll never Seems like that's it how it always is. How, how do they know? Yeah. How do they know? They don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> they don't know what I'm doing. So, yeah. And, you know, and I, and I see that all the time. Like, if I reverse engineered my life, people would thought I made it up. If somebody asked me, how do you get to be where I am at in sports. And I'm like, well, start off wanting to be a professional football player, go pre-med, change that to being a lawyer, become an oil and gas litigator, switch your career to the internet, raise money on the Silicon Valley, be CEO of a handheld company, retire, invest into a whole bunch of stuff, and then help a friend with his reality show, meet Lee Steinberg and in 48 hours be the CEO of the most notable sports agency in the world. That's how you're going to get there, man. <laughs> yeah. Just like Steve Jobs said, right? Like you can only, you can only join up the dots when you look back and then like really see what right. that's me. So like for me, what did I do though? 
I enjoyed the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential. I really looked at my skills, my knowledge, and my desire. I motivated people, didn't manipulate them, and I learned from my mistakes. I made lots of mistakes because, you know, like Mario Andretti says, which I love, if you are in control, you're not driving fast enough. <laughs> you know, I like to drive fast. Yeah. I find that it takes a certain combination of like likability and confidence kind of thrown in together in order to pull off some of the stuff that you done, like being able to meet this guy. And then within 48 hours, like, oh yeah, here, be the CEO of this most notable sports agency in the world. <laughs> you know, like within 40, like that, in that time window, like there's got to be a solid combination of like, I'm a confident person. I know that I can do this X, 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 and X, but I'm not going to throw it in your face. I'm not arrogant about it. You're a likable guy. Like let's do business type thing. So can you talk into how you were able to kind of cultivate that air of self-confidence and likability? Clarity, balance, and focus brings confidence. And coming into that, I wasn't looking for a job. I was allowing everything in my life to happen. And I was very confident that I was being of service. I was helping my friend, representing him. Excited to meet Lee Steinberg, but I wasn't looking for a job. The story that I was going to tell you when I rudely interrupted you, <laughs> there I go, trying not to be a learner. <laughs> <laughs> but I think about my career, like a famous Hall of Fame kicker, a man named Jan Stenerud who played for Kansas City. Jan Stenerud was a skier, and he got a ski scholarship, and he's from Sweden. He got a, a ski scholarship to come to America to the University of Montana. He a widely a known university, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's and a skier. And he, he almost didn't come because it was so far way back then to come, but he wanted to follow the American dream. Kind of like Dave Meltzer wanted to follow the American dream of just being rich. And he wanted to come to America and couldn't even believe that they would give him a scholarship because he grew up on the slopes to ski in college. But, you know, he didn't know the difference between Montana and New York City. <laughs> so he goes to Montana and he's skiing. And at the junior year, he is running the steps to work out his legs as a great skier should. And he's watching the kicker of Montana's football team. And he's back then they had toe kickers. So uh, Jan goes down there and he says, why do you kick with your toe? You know, I've played soccer my whole life and let me show you how to kick. So he lines up and he kicks like a 45 yarder. <laughs> okay. And the coach kind of the basketball, sorry, the basketball coach was down there and it clears it by like, you know, 20 yards or something. Anyway, he goes back, runs the stairs or whatever. And the basketball coach, who shouldn't have been on the track anyway, but was just down there for some workout or whatever, he ends up the next day running into the football coach and said, hey, this is a skier kid, and he can kick the living blank out of the ball. So now the kicker ends up at the next game missing a kick. So then the football coach tries to find the kid, and he sees him running the stairs, and he goes, hey, hey, skier. He doesn't know his name. He said, hey, would you come and uh, do you ever play football? He said, no. He says, here, kick one for me. He boots the ball. He says, why don't you just suit up? It's the last game of, of the year, you know, just suit up, I, you know, see what football's like. So he suits him up. He ends up making the team his senior year to be the kicker. And he has an okay, an okay season as a kicker. The very last game, the very last game of the season, the game gets very tight and he gets forced into kicking a 60, or, sorry, 59 yard field goal. And he kicks the 59 yard field goal and wins the game. Unbeknownst to him, 
unbeknownst to him, it's the longest field goal, not only in college football at the time, but also in, in pro football. So a couple months, I football is over, a couple months go by, and he gets a wiregram, of, you know, one of those old telegrams. He gets a telegram, he's in his last semester of senior year, and he's skiing, <laughs> right? He gets his last, uh, gets a telegram that you have been drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> While he's skiing, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't know what the Kansas City Chiefs are, and he doesn't know what the draft is. But he goes, and he ends up signing a contract for more money than he ever dreamed of, which wasn't a lot of money back then. He ends up winning a Super Bowl. He ends up having a 24-year career in the NFL, and he ends up in the Hall of Fame. That's Dave Meltzer's career. And that could be your career as well. If you allow things to happen, don't limit your point of entry and continue to consistently, persistently enjoy the pursuit of your potential of whatever it may come. And that's how the greatest, there's very few kickers in the Hall of Fame. One of the greatest kickers ever to play the game became a kicker. So first of all, incredible story. And there's so many things to take away from this. But one of the big things is... So remaining open, right, to, to possibilities, opportunities, to the fact that he was even going to the field, he could have just been like, actually, no, I'm a skier, I ski, I don't want to play football, and that would have been the end of it. Exactly. So being open, right, an opportunity, but also having blinders on every once in a while, because I find that especially an entrepreneurial personality type, like we have problems staying one track minded and focused on something and we get this shiny object syndrome. Can you kind of talk into how you know, if you are just opportunity crazed versus like, does that make sense? Like you don't want to be one or the other. You don't want to be completely closed off the opportunity, but you also don't want to just take in every single thing that comes your way. Right? Correct. So what you need to have is a process. And that's a learned process of how do I deal with all the different opportunities? Because that doesn't stop in your career. The more successful you are, the more opportunities that you have. So you have to figure out how do I qualify things? How do I prioritize them? And I'm consistently still developing more and more ways that I can qualify what I want to do. Believe it or not, I have a very simple qualification process that goes to the how much money I can make how many people I can help, and how much fun on a scale. And so the initial qualification is I take into all the dependent and independent variables and try to determine, is this big enough for my time? Is this big enough for the amount of people I can help? Am I going to enjoy it? And you know that's where the famous negotiation line that's in my book that Lee gave me, don't negotiate the last penny, always be fair, and don't do business with dicks. That falls right in line with <laughs> make a lot of money help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. So you've obviously negotiated quite literally billions and billions of dollars in different deals, contracts, and things throughout your career. What is your negotiating superpower, Dave? Called the 120 rule. I know it's going to not, it'll seem counterintuitive to make to most hardcore negotiators, but I believe the greatest challenge in negotiation is to provide the most value that you can. So my rule of negotiation is, can I provide $100 worth of value and only ask for 20 back. Because if I can, if I can create a net 80 return on whatever I'm negotiating for, I become a great negotiator, not because I've tricked or manipulated, oversold, back-end sold, intimidated, you know, whatever it may be. But instead, what I did is I explained and articulated the value with which I'm provided with the confidence and guarantee that it would be far less 
than what I'm asking for. And most have just the litmus test of negotiation. If I'm not prepared to ask one simple question, can you see any reason that you want want to move forward? If I can't ask myself that question before I go into negotiation, can I see any reason that they wouldn't want to move forward? I need to have that litmus test. I need to be able to close a deal by asking them that question and simply stating, does that sound fair? And when I do that, I have an extraordinary success rate in negotiation by reverse engineering and coming prepared with value. That was manipulation, overselling, back-end selling and lying. Yeah, right, right, right. Looking back over your career, are there any particular stories or settings that you can remember that you are like particularly proud of in a negotiation setting or maybe got a result that maybe most people probably wouldn't have done because of something that you did or said or thought about that most people wouldn't have thought about? Yeah, you know, uh, understanding uh, the negotiation for my TV show Elevator Pitch, which is now a top digital business show and negotiating with some networks actually now, but there's many scarce parties involved in the negotiation. As I'm an owner, producer, lead judge on the show, there's a fund, there's financing, there's all these different parties. There's the Entrepreneur Magazine. And I am so proud of myself because I went in with an abundant attitude to provide value. I shared the commonality. I connected to people emotionally for logical reasons. I was able to actually give up my ownership for other interested parties for the whole. And in my career, it's a long shot to have a successful TV show. But moreover, in a very scarce environment, in a very competitive environment, I was able to bring abundance and enlightenment to all the parties involved. Although in the short run, I gave up a big percentage of what I was supposed to have. I truly believe that if I would have hung on in a scarce mentality to what was in my mind already negotiated for me, but instead being abundant and open, I ended up with this tremendous success, all types of things I never dreamed of and profitable situation because I was abundant and negotiated from a place of humility and abundance, not scarcity and manipulation. It seems like there is a lot of masterful relationship building that's happening during some of these bigger deals that you've been able to put together. And not like we talked about in a manipulative way, but in a value add sort of way, which is why you've been able to have a long-term career, right? Because if you come in and you might be a good negotiator, quote unquote, but then you don't lead with value, you don't offer value, and you don't give that value after the deal is struck, then your career is going to be pretty short-lived regardless. So you've been able to make this into a very long and very successful career with multiple different industries, facets, and all these different things that you've been able to put together. Can you kind of talk to us about a couple of your top, since this is the Bilge Network podcast, top relationship building tips, maybe your top advice for that? Oh, of course. So number one, there's two questions to build a relationship. One, start with how can I be of service? Provide value. Two, ask for help. Do you know anyone that can help me with this? If you load yourself with those two questions, and connect to people on emotion for logical reasons, you can build a network. And then in order to maintain that network, those relationships, very simply look at things with the perspective of being kind to your future self. Don't worry about the present, but provide value for the future. Put faith in the future. Don't put faith in the past. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that right there sums up basically everything we talk about on the show. <laughs> you got, got to add value <laughs> and you got to think long-term. Like those two things have to be involved in your relationship building process or else you're just doing it the wrong way and probably for the wrong uh, reasons. Dave, this is a question that I ask every single person that comes on the show. So I am really stoked to get your take on this. Um, it goes a lot of different directions with a lot of different people. So do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why? <laughs> so I actually believe who you know is more important than what you know. And then let me explain why. If who you know can give you opportunities, even if you don't know what, meaning I've seen people that know me, they don't know what, but then they learn what. If Sometimes if you know what you know, but there's no one to help you, the who, then you never have an opportunity to not only execute on what you know, but learn more of what you know. Where somebody that has the who has the ability to learn the what and execute on the what. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, I just want to stand up and start clapping right now, man. <laughs> that's uh, so, so much about what we talk about here is something I always tell people is there's, there's probably somebody out there, there's definitely somebody out there doing what you want to do that's not as good as you are but has the opportunity just because they know people. So if you limit yourself by just saying, you know what, if I'm just really good at this, I'll be able to get all the opportunities. That might be true to a certain extent, but knowing the people could provide opportunity, which will then allow you to learn the skill or master the craft at exponential rates comparatively to what you would have been able to do by yourself. Is that basically what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it can be taken the wrong way, right? Because you don't want people to think, you know, this is a very closed world. It's only who you know, because it's so easy to ask for help and make your own who's. And people take it instantly in a scarce regard that, oh, well, I got to be in the, in the inside, inside circle. Look, let me just tell you this. I was born with a single mom that was a substitute teacher in Akron, Ohio. I went to a college with 1,500 people. I didn't come from a ton of money or know a ton of people. I don't have senators and governors in my family. What I did was ask for help, learn and execute on the what, and made a name for myself where now today at 50 years old, I'm now one of the who's, uh, which makes me feel really good because it gives me the power to help others as well. Having as much influence as you've now been able to earn throughout your entire career by all the value that you've offered to people, is there a way in particular that really just rubs you the wrong way when people try to connect with you? Yeah, you know what uh, rubs me the wrong way is when people aren't honest. It's really funny because I've gone through a transition in my life where what really bothered me was when people oversold, back end sold, manipulated. And the reason it bothered me most at that time was because I was overselling back and selling, manipulating, and even lying. I used to dislike my own father because of it, because he was an extraordinary salesman, but was born and raised in, on the kind of manipulative type of selling. And the reason I disliked him or even hated him so much is because it's what I hated about myself. As I matured, it's just a turnoff to me. It's, you know, it's not something that I put judgment or conditions on. It's just an immediate turnoff with so many different companies with the funds that I have in the TV show and the podcast, when people are blowing smoke up my backside or manipulating me, you know, it's just an immediate turnoff. And like I said earlier, right, 
don't negotiate to the last penny, always be fair and don't do business with dicks. It's an immediate turnoff that I would not like to do business with me, with those people. So let's break it down here and make it really easy. If somebody is just now tuning in and they're about to tune out and they have this one minute to really get some value here, besides the things that we've already talked about, what would be your number one piece of advice for somebody to network better? I really have a simple matrix of networking and it's a guaranteed success. There's four ways to network, in person, on the phone, via email, and media, which is social media, advertising, traditional TV, radio, print. What people don't understand within the context of those four things, you need to, number one, ask the two critical questions, which is how can I be of service? And two, do you know anyone that can help me? And then the second component to asking is attracting. So if you get into the consistent habit of every day, in person, on the phone, via email, or media, Asking those two questions and then learning how to connect emotionally to someone for logical reasons to attract the business or networking to you, that simple matrix of those eight different things will draw more business and take your business from the offensive where you're looking for business to the defensive where you don't have enough time to handle all the business that you have. Wow. <laughs> That's got to be a really cool flip, right? To uh, go from being desperate for business to having too much business. <laughs> Probably what everybody's really going for, I, I would assume. Yeah, I know. It's a really nice flip as well. And then my main focus is being on the defensive is building the downline to handle all the business that I can't handle. And so now I'm just consistently making a percentage off of people referring the business that I can't do, whether it's speaking engagements, TV, radio, coaching, all the different areas, or just other areas of business development that I'm not involved with. Hmm. Right, right, right. What do you think, besides the things that we've already talked about, what do you think are the three most important skills that someone should be focused on developing in 2019 and onward? I actually think there's four skills. Uh, one is gratitude. Two is forgiveness. Three is accountability. And the fourth is effective communication, which includes being able to connect and inspire you and allow it to come through you, appreciate, add value to give to others to inspire them. If you focus in on those four things, you will be extremely successful, whatever you set your mind, your intention, and attention to. And so much value today, Dave. I honestly could keep asking you questions for another three hours, so <laughs> should, probably, should probably cut it where there's a natural break there and move on to the last segment here, the thing I like to call the random one. Um, just a few quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? I'm ready. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? Second base, any team. <laughs> <laughs> if you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Einstein, because he understands relativity. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Videos. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I have two different morning routines. One is when I'm at home. That's wake up at 4 a.m., meditate then put health first, whatever that would look like, stretching, working out, weight, cardio, whatever, then doing what I call due diligence work, or whatever that might look like for my books, speeches, business, etc. 6.30 to 7.30 is family time. I close everything down. I make lunches and breakfasts and normal dad time. 7.30 to 8, business coaching calls as I drive to work. And then 8 o'clock, I become a fireman and uh, react to all the business during the day. I do that until five o'clock and five to five thirty. 
I take three more business coaching calls on the way home. I turn everything off from 5.30 until 8.30. And then 8.30, that's all family time. And then 8.30 on, I try to be a student in my calendar for the next day, study that, have some additional time with my wife, and then try to stay up till 11 and pass out. And then if I'm on the road, I stay on the same time schedule. The only things that I do differently is I make sure that I meditate. I put my health first, and then just I have to be a student of my calendar to, to make sure that I'm productive and accessible during the day, maximizing meetups, uh, what I call holding court, interviews, and philanthropic work that I do usually on the road. And so those are the two different routines I have. What is your go-to pump-up song? <laughs> oh, this little light of mine. I know. Yes. <laughs> yes. <Sorry>. It is. <laughs> Good question, by the way. (laughs) What is something that you are just not very good at? I'm the world's worst singer next to my little brother. That's what makes me second worst singer in the world. (laughs) Yeah, my my brother that's the rabbi is the world's worst singer. That's I'm the, hilarious. I'm the I love yeah. <laughs> I love that you I love that you know that like man I'm really bad but he's a little worse than I am. <laughs> I think yeah, that, people hold their hands over the ears when we sing. As <laughs> <laughs> we get everything wrapped up here, Dave, what is one place online where we are going to be able to find you the most? At David Meltzer Instagram and the website dmeltzer.com. Perfect. So if you want to learn more about Dave, which highly recommend, he's done some incredible things, uh, head over to Instagram at David Meltzer and then uh, go check out his website as well. Also highly recommend going to Entrepreneur and checking out Elevator Pitch, which is his show that we were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, Just a really, really interesting series, almost a Shark Tank feel slash vibe there. So it's a a lot of of cool things to check out um, with Dave's brand and everything that he's putting out there. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show today man. I had a fantastic time chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. Look forward to doing it again. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. You hear my guests and I talk a lot about masterminds here on Build Your Network. They are literally what I attribute most of the new quality relationships in my life to. If this is a new term to you, or you've always kind of wondered exactly what a mastermind is or what it does or how much they are, how to find one, all those types of details, you are definitely going to want to take my free mastermind course. It is everything you need to know about masterminds in just six short lessons. It's 100% free. So there's literally no reason to not at least see what it's about. Just head over to travischapel.com to grab that course and start today. Have a fantastic rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.